Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. Man, you guys are fired up, ready to go, huh? Must be a three-day weekend or something. Well, hey, uh, I'm excited. Maybe excited is the wrong word. I'm grateful to get to be here and to continue this series in the book of Revelations. Um, This week, we're looking at Revelations 9, and I got to be honest with you, I'm um, actually pretty uncomfortable talking about the themes that come out of this passage. In fact, uh, the more I studied this, the more I, I just kind of, you know, went, wow, I don't want to talk about this stuff. This is, this is really heavy stuff. It's talking about evil and, and punishment and the wrath of God and satanic powers and all these things. I'm going, man, I, why can't I just do one on love, right? Just something real nice and friendly. And then my in-laws are here and they're going to know that we church folks are all weird now. And, you know, this is, this is heavy stuff. Yet as I studied it, as I dove into it, just reminded that, that God is puts these things to teach us and that it's important for us to look at these things. It's important for us to ask hard questions and to dive into topics that we're not comfortable talking about. Uh, so a couple questions I think that this passage really brings up. And the first question is this, is, is there really evil in our world? And I think a lot of us, we've seen this, right? We go, yeah, of course there's evil. Have you you've seen the world we live in? Have you been to my family's house? Do you, do you not realize that there is true evil? It's, it's ugly. But then there's another question I think that this passage brings up. Maybe that's a little bit more challenging for us to, to ask. And is, if there is evil in our world, could there be or is there a demonic or a satanic force behind it? Is there an intelligent designer to evil? Right? I mean, we're, we're comfortable, a lot of us, especially us as Christians, we're really comfortable talking about an intelligent designer that's created the world and has crafted all things for good. But how about the opposite? Could there be a satanic force out there that is drawing together things to, to produce more evil and brokenness and shame and hurt? And this passage today, it, it points to that. In fact, it shows a, a, a prophecy, a future where God will use even evil even brokenness, pain, that he'll actually allow that to happen to bring judgment onto the world. So you think all of us are, most of us are pretty comfortable with the idea of evil because we see it all around us, right? We see it in individual actions and things I do and things you do. And then we really see it like, I think that maybe the, the best representation of evil or where we really see it is through war, right? I mean, one of the wars that we can all kind of look back to, at least in history, is World War II, And that's hard to see anything but evil there, right? Where you see 9 million Jews murdered. Where you see rape and pillaging taking place across Asia. Where you see nuclear bombs killing men, women, and children indiscriminately. And we see that and we go, yeah, that's that's evil. That's that's horrible. And this passage makes us question, could evil get even worse than that? Is, Is there something even more troubling than that? See, what we're looking at in the book of Revelations is God is in this process of purifying the world, of making things right. It's telling of a future events that are to happen. And, and uh, in the section we're in, it's called like the seven trumpets, right? And each of these trumpets represents a punishment. And so far, we've seen four of these unleashed. And the first four trumpets are, are devastating, and they attack the created world, right? They, they've kind of avoided direct contact, if you will, with humans and have attacked really the environment. But on these last three, they go directly against humanity. And and also, these are also called the three woes. 
And so you'll see that come out of here. So we're going to read this. And as we read this passage, um, Revelation chapter 9, I encourage you, especially those of you guys who've been Christians a while, to not put your like academic hat on where you just try to connect every little dot and try to say this represents this and that's that. But just to see it as this vision that John had, just to see the imagery, to, to feel the emotions, to, to see the pain of what's happening here. So if you will, look uh, with me at Revelation chapter 9. It's the end of your Bibles, the last book of the Bible. It said, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of, the scor- uh, of scorpions on the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or the green plants or the trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings somebody. And in those days, people will seek death and not find it, and they will long to die, but death will flee from them. Encouraging so far, right? <laughs> this is heavy. It's, it's terrific imagery, right? And it keeps going. It says, In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold, and their faces were like human faces, and their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, and they had the breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tail. And they have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. And the sixth angel, he blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had that trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who have been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. And a number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how, how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and sulfur, and their head of the horses were like lion's head, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouth. And by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouth and in their tail, for their tail are like serpents with heads and by means of which they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, they did not repent from the works of their hands. Nor did they give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot hear or see or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their sorcery, their sexual immorality, or their theft. I mean, this is, this is really heavy stuff. Right here we see the, the trumpets, the judgments, they, they continue on. And, and we see that evil has kind of been released on the world to judge the world for its evil. That's a really a powerful image to kind of think about, right? So we see that the fifth trumpet gets blown, 
And with this, there's a star, and the, the language is which has fallen and has kind of fallen. And again, I don't think we necessarily need to see that as a literal, like a falling star or a comet or meteor or something like that. Instead, what we, we see here is that probably Satan or a demon is kind of been released. There's something deeply spiritual going on here. And this, this being is given a key to this shaft that opens up a bottomless pit to the abyss. Again, we see something very, very deep and evil happening, right? And when this door is open up, when this cavern is open up, it's like a great volcanic explosion. The skies get turned dark. And again, this might be something literal, but probably it's more important to see this as evil being unleashed on the earth as a punishment for evil. And the skies go dark. And out of this darkness, right, you see this punishment of locusts. But this passage kind of stops here for a moment, and it reminds us, it says, but the ones who were protected from this were those with the mark of God on their head. Those who God had selected, those who God had sealed, who he chose to protect. And I think what that reminds us of is even in the midst of something that we're about to see that's so horrific, that God has a plan, that God is selective, that God's plan is for restoration. It's for bringing people to himself. It's not just some sadistic plan to hurt people. It's not just punishment for the sake of punishment. It's punishment for the sake of making all things right. And as we talked about this year, is renewing the world, this broken planet, this broken humanity that we live in. And that's what God is doing here. So then out of this kind of volcanic smoke, we see this army of locusts. Right? And these aren't normal locusts. These are like scorpion stinging locusts. These are, are scary stuff. And this would be an image that for those, uh, especially the first readers, were probably really familiar with the idea of locusts coming in. You can imagine um, being a farmer out there in hard land, arid land, you know, kind of desert land, and you've, you've planted your crops. And maybe you're sitting on your back porch and you're watching the crops and just kind of feeling good about they're starting to plant, you know, you're about to harvest. And all of a sudden, you look out on the horizon, and you see this black cloud coming across the desert. And you go, oh, no, that doesn't look like rain. What is that? And the cloud kind of comes closer and closer, and pretty soon, like, it could actually block out the sun to some extent. It would become, like, dark, like dusk, and, and this cloud of locusts would just fall in the field and would just eat all of your plants. And it might stay there for a day or two or a week, and then the wind picks up again, and it blows along to the next farmer's field. And you look out and you see just devastation. And that's the image that's going on here. Except for these locusts, instead of eating grass and crops, are turned directly against people. And, and they're not just any normal locusts. These are like armored war horses, like prepared for battle. It says that they have human faces and teeth like lions that they've got long flowing hair, kind of this imagery that was probably common of warriors from, from the East in, the, in that time, but just these warrior-like creatures coming out. And, and as they march, the, the sound, the wings is so like troubling. It just sounds like thunder, like hundreds and thousands of chariots rushing over the ground. And they've got this, this terrible stinger that can actually cause pain for five months. I don't know about you, but I don't think many people like scorpions, right? I know some freaky people keep them as pets or something sick like that. But most of us are, we've got a fair amount of fear when it comes to scorpions. But the only thing good about scorpions is they're small, right? 
And usually they're pretty scared of you. And they don't fly in massive hordes and try to kill you, right? And sting you. I mean, that's, that's the nice thing about scorpions. But here we see this image of this army that, that's coming in with these ferocious stingers. And, and they can bring pain that lasts for five months. I remember the first time we went down to Mexico to work with the orphans that we work with down there. Somebody, I, to this day, I'm not sure who brought these, but brought these little vacuum things. I think I've talked about them here before. And, and these vacuums had like a little canister attached to them so you could suck up bugs and stuff and then it would get trapped in this little like canister. And these kids are all city folks, right? They come from Mexicali. They're, they're not used to being out in the mountains. So we give these kids these little vacuums and we send them on their way and they come back five, 10 minutes later. And they're like every deadly insect found in the mountains is like trapped in these little things. And they're so excited about it. They're like, look at this, isn't this cool? And then they want to take it back to their dorm room so they can watch these animals like, or these insects devour each other. And our fear was like, what if those things broken open and there's like scorpions and black widows like all over their, their dorms? And that's an even more scary image that we see here, that the sky is darkened with this, this evil force. And, and not only that, that it, it, brings pain for five months, excruciating pain. Now, most of the time I can kind of think of pain in my own life. Maybe you're different, but I imagine you're the same. It's like two kinds of pain. One is like that long-term kind of aching pain that just won't go away, that kind of chronic pain. Maybe that's like the pain from a broken bone as it just slowly heals or, or back pain. Or I know a lot of you probably lived with pain. And it's not necessarily like you can still somewhat function in the midst of that pain, but the struggle is it's going to last a long time, right? Versus the other kind of pain, which is like that sharp pain if you like smash your thumb with a, a hammer or like, a, a, like maybe a scorpion sting, I imagine, would be. And it just, it's overwhelming. But the only thing good about it is you know it's not going to last that long, right? But for a moment, you can't do anything but scream and curse, you know? And I imagine that that's a little bit of the pain that's going on here for five months. Day after day, week after week, you go through this pain and it says that they were looking for death and they couldn't find it. That they just... We're in pain, begging for this. And then the next judgment comes along, and it gets even worse, right? Scripture teaches us that there are these four angels that, and again, these are demonic angels. These are not uh, heavenly angels, and they've been chained up, that, that God has not allowed them to wreak their full havoc on the world, that they've been chained up at the Euphrates, kind of the historic places, the historic battlegrounds, if you will, for people. And they've been chained up, and they get released and with them, they, they rise up an army of 200 million people that go and wreak havoc on the world. Now, this is an amazing number to even think about, 200 million people. We can't even fathom that. In fact, it's uh, like war historians and stuff have tried to figure out what that would look like. And, and they say that it's probably not even sustainable to have an army that big. It would just it destroy itself. It would be so big. So we see something here that's not even human, that's, that's demonic, that's evil, that's going to go and destroy the world. I mean, that would be like if all of Canada, like every man, woman, and child, all of Canada, all of Mexico, and like all of Texas, like band together as one massive army. This is, this is something that's beyond like our comprehension. And they go through and they'd leave just a wake of death in their path. One in three people. I can't even imagine what that would be like. There's not a family on earth that won't be affected by this. Even just the, the systems in place to deal with such great carnage. Like it, it's beyond comprehension. 
And then at the end of this passage, it says, in the midst of this great evil, in the midst of this great pain and suffering, that the entire population, those who survived this, did not turn to God. They did not repent. Instead, they continued to worship demons, the very thing that was destroying them. The very evil that was unleashed against them, they chose that over turning to God. In fact, not only did they worship that, but they continued acting in evil. They continued murdering each other in sexual immorality and sorcery. And I think we see here, to answer that question, could there be a satanic force behind evil? And what's depicted here is absolutely. So in the midst of this, I want us to ask the question, what does this passage teach us about Satan and demons and kind of wickedness in general? And the first point I want to make here that I see here is that that evil, that wickedness, that Satan has great power, yet its power is on loan, right? That in the midst of everything that's happening, in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of all this pain and all this struggle, we see that God is still in control of this. It's God who allows it. It's God who chooses how far things can go, how much destruction can happen, who dies if there's death. Um, and, And we're reminded that even in the midst of this, that God is in control. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not incredible power here, right? It says in the middle of this passage that they set up their own king, and there was king over this army, which essentially the king had control of the entire world. Yet, that king's authority had an expiration date on it, right? That it wasn't going to last forever. This isn't the end of the book. Fortunately, there's like 13 more chapters to go in the book of Revelations, and we know God is in control, And God is in control even now when we look at evil, when we look at the brokenness in our world, to be reminded that God is in control of that, right? Just this idea of like this abyss, this bottomless pit that it talks about here. This is the same concept. If you remember the story that Jesus is like casting out a demon of that guy and the guy goes, well, just don't send us into the abyss. Instead, put us in those pigs over there, right? And what we see is that it seems to be that some percentage, some force of of Satan's army, of the demonic, wicked activity in our world right now, is actually being trapped. It's not the fullness of what's going on. And, and, And that gives us kind of perspective. And again, we see like those four angels that have been chained up for this very specific an hour and day that they're allowed to unleash their hate and their evilness. But right now, they're chained up. And I think this gives me hope in my own life because, let's be honest, if you're anything like me, you've got evilness in your own life, right? You've got brokenness. You've got sin. There's things, there's thoughts, there's actions that are pretty ugly in your own life. And sometimes it can feel like those are beyond my control. I couldn't possibly do anything about that because it's just too great. And I think this reminds us that, that this evilness is great. It is ugly. Yet, God is in control of those things. And because God is in control of those, those who are followers of him, we can be in control of those things. So that while Satan is powerful, his power is in check. It's not limitless, right? The next thing we see here is that this is a very efficient and um, well-prepared force, right? This is organized. This is thought out. These are not some sort of my little pony cute horses that just run around shooting like little rainbows. These are fierce war horses prepared for battle, fit with the latest of technology, ready to trample and to kill. They, um, that they are, they're prepared. These are war machines. 
And I think this reminds me that as Satan is not playing games out there, right? That, that he is prepared, that he's got a game plan, that he wants to accomplish his plan, and his plan is nothing short of destruction and pain in my life, in your life, and in the whole world. He has no greater desire than to see us turn away from God and refuse to worship him. I was thinking of this this week when all the stuff came out about Ashley Madison, right, and the, um, all the people exposed in, in their affairs. And I just was thinking about this. How many guys, how many ladies um, went online? Maybe they were struggling in their marriage. They were feeling uncared for or whatever their, their reasoning was. And they thought they would just set up a little profile. Ashley Madison was the, the dating website for married folks, if you're not familiar with that. Um, so they set up a, a profile that is, you know, maybe just to see. And that gets a little deeper and a little deeper. And then they're exposed and entire families are destroyed, right? Jobs are ruined. And then I, I heard online a spokesperson from Ashley Madison came out and said, hey, don't worry about our company. We're doing just fine. Even though we were exposed, even though all of our subscribers were put out there, our subscriptions have actually gone up by hundreds of thousands this last week. People are fighting for themselves, fighting over themselves to get and to be part of our, our program, to have affairs. And I just thought about how easy it is for sin to creep into our lives and how strategic that sin is, that it creeps into our lives and it breaks apart things. It brings hatred and all kinds of filth and ugliness into our lives. It happens in my life. And I know it happens in your life. And Satan will take whatever he can. If that means he can cause pain and suffering for five months, he'll do that. If that means he can kill a third of the world's population, he can do that. If that means he'll destroy your marriage, he'll do that. If that means he can cause wars, he'll do that. And we see a very well thought out and planned approach, an attack. The next thing we see here, and this is related to the the last one, but that this is a very sophisticated attack. In the fifth plague, it depicts these locusts as having human faces, this kind of anthropomorphic idea that these are not just bumbling animals, like just kind of running on instinct, that these are sophisticated beings, right? They have intelligence, that they can, they can accomplish something. Sometimes in, in movies, especially in our culture, I think we like to think, if we even think of demons at all, if we even believe that they exist. They're just kind of these bumbling idiots that go around and cause pain and suffering, but they're not really thoughtful and strategic. And here we, we see something that's very thought out, that, that's, um, that's got a plan to bring about destruction and pain. The next thing I see about this uh, is that this force was cruel and powerful and venomous, Right? That we see something that's it's really ugly. It's even hard to read it. We see just this, this evil, this cruel thing. In both the fifth and sixth trumpets, both of those plagues, we see that the, there's like this image of a, a lion, right? The locusts have lion's teeth and the, the horses have a lion's head. And I think lions have always been kind of perceived. They're beautiful and they're big and they're powerful, but there's something cruel about a lion, right? you ever watch Discovery Channel and you see a lion like chewing on a baby zebra's head? Like that lion doesn't feel guilt about what it's doing, right? That, that lion feels no remorse because that's what the lion does. It, it crushes its prey. And in the same way, I don't think Satan feels any remorse when he sees pain and suffering in our lives, when he sees a world falling apart, when he sees greed destroying the planet, when he sees war break out, because that's the very nature of who he is. 
We see in there, we see horses that blow out smoke and sulfur and fire killing people. And then hanging off their back end are poisonous snakes, right? That, that those they don't kill, they'll poison to death. This is not a, a fair fight, right? That they'll do whatever they can to kill, to crush. It's not a gentleman's war. There's not some code of conduct. They're not up there doing just what the kind of rules say. They'll do anything they can to destroy. And I think that's a vivid reminder for me that the sin in my life, it's so corrosive, it's so ugly, that it'll do anything it can to destroy me. But I think there's, there's hope in this. We can be, let's be practical with what this means, right? That this evil, while it's powerful, while it can wreak havoc on our life, God is in control of that. Therefore, no matter how deep, no matter how brokenness, no matter how real the evil is in our life, because it is real, that, that God has control of that. And those who are marked by, the, by God uh, are given the power to overcome that. That these things, while they affect us, while they're going on all around us, they do not control us. So those things that you feel like you can't give up, that, that are, you're stuck in, we're not. That, that through the power of Jesus, that we can overcome those things. That Satan has no authority in our life. And it's so important for us to remember that. So how should we respond to this evil in our world? And I think that's a, an important question. And honestly, this passage doesn't give us a lot of positive examples for that, right? It's not like you see a group of people that in the midst of such evil stay strong. It says the entire world's population, verse 20 and 21, says that they cower to this and they instead do exactly the same thing that they were doing before. See, I think they looked at that. I mean, we don't really know what's going to happen, but I think they'll look at all the pain and all the suffering that's going on all around them. And I think they'll say, yeah, but that's not what I'm doing here. What I'm doing is okay. It's not really that bad. I know it's not maybe good, but it's, it's not the same as that. These things I'm worshiping, I don't think they probably associated, it says that they worship demons. I don't think they probably associated that or will associate that, I should say, with the, the pain and the suffering that was caused in their life. I think they were blinded to it. They continued to do these things. They continued to act in these sinful ways. It says, it goes on to say that they uh, continued in their murder. The idea of murder we know from Jesus's perspective isn't just killing somebody, but it's even our thoughts, Right? continued with sorcery. It's idea of kind of both the black arts and, and, you know, kind of wicked spiritualism. But on top of that, it really has a lot to do with, um, with drug use in their days. And, and so sorcery had a lot to do with altering your state of mind in order to, to achieve some sort of feeling and some sort of, you know, purpose in your life. We see sexual immorality that people continue to, to try to satisfy their needs through, through all kinds of um, perverse sexual things and then theft that, that people choose to destroy each other and to hurt each other and to hurt themselves in the midst of this. So how should we respond? And I think taking the negative example and looking at the opposite is that we want to align ourselves with the one who is good, right? That those who are good, they were sealed, they were set, or not, that were, not those who are good, those who are aligned with God were sealed, they were set apart is battle, it reminds us there's a great war going on, that our world is not just one big gray area. And while our perspective, we can't truly see what's black and white, that there is a black and white, that there is an evil, and the fullness of that is really destructive, and it's really ugly. And so instead, we need to turn to Jesus, and we need to put our life in him, that we need to put our trust in him, that we live in a society that just thrives on 
on greed and sexual exploitation and all kinds of wickedness. And we can't just find out what's good just by looking at those around us. That we have to look to the one who is truly good. And I think with that, the next thing is when we do that, it begins to change our perspective. It changes who we are. That it's not like we can just be good enough because there was nobody here that was good enough to see what was going on around. There was nobody who was wise enough. But when we put our trust in God, the Holy Spirit is promised into our life and he guides us and he directs us. And I think the next thing that we see here is that we need to begin to see evil as evil. Again, I think the people that are going to be living in this time, they won't even see their own actions, the own things they're doing, the stuff that their friends and their family are doing all around them as evil, even in the face of evil. So they continue on with those things. Humans, myself included, we are by nature hypocrites, right? I mean, that's just, there's some things I'm hypocritical on and other things maybe I'm not, but in general, I think I'm actually pretty hypocritical. Like the other day, I was, my one-year-old starts screaming, right? Because one-year-olds just scream sometimes. And my five-year-old loses it. So she starts screaming at my one-year-old to stop screaming, right? And then me being just the wise and mature father, I start screaming at my five-year-old, right? I'm like, stop screaming. What's wrong with you? And then I hear myself and going, wow, that's really hypocritical, right? But isn't that easy to do that we can like point out something wrong in somebody else, we can say, well, that over there, that's kind of ugly, or that's not good, but what I'm doing, yeah, it's not that bad. Or it's justified. Come on. That's, I'm just trying to survive here. I'm just trying to make ends meet. I'm just trying to do what I do. And part of being aligned with God is that I think God wants to point out these things in our life that are ugly, these things in our life that are broken. And we begin to see these actions as filthy and ugly and sinful and even demonic. I don't know about you, but I don't like thinking of my actions as demonic, right? I mean, that's not a word I, I ever use. I don't go, oh, I'm sorry, honey. That was really demonic of me to yell at you that way. It's, it doesn't come out of my mouth ever. But I think this passage, it causes us to look at that thing and say, if evil is a product of Satan, then when I participate in those things, I'm participating in demonic, satanic activities. But again, there's hope in this passage. This passage was written, I don't think, to scare us, actually. I think it it should be humbling. I think it should be sobering. I think it should make us look at this. But I don't think this passage was because that there's this inevitable punishment that we're all going to have to go through, and we just have to wait for it to happen, to live in fear. No, I think this passage was to inspire change in our life, to, to draw us to Jesus, to say, to see the fullness of what our sin will result in and to turn to Jesus. It's not just that the inevitable is going to happen to us, so we just need to sit and wait. Don't get me wrong, I think this will happen, but our position in it is not set, right? That that God is calling us to turn to him. I remember when I was a kid, um, I was doing some mischievous stuff with my friends, and we were uh, taking gummy worms, right? And we were throwing them on cars off an overpass as they drove under Stupid, I know. And a, a police officer came by and saw us and didn't think that was very funny. And um, so he catches us, and he actually puts us in the back of his police car, and he calls our parents. And I know I'm just in trouble. My parents are going to come unglued. But I, I also realized my parents had plans for that night, that they were going to be out of the house that night. 
And so I knew I was in trouble. I knew there was no way around it, but I just thought I could push off this punishment as far as possible, right? And so I um, went home after my parents had left, and I wrote them this nice note pretending like I didn't know that the cop had called home and just said, hey, by the way, I'm going to go to a late movie tonight. Should be home late. Don't wait up. See ya. And then me and my friends went to this movie, and I remember my hope was I'd come home and they'd already be in bed. And while I knew I was doomed for punishment, I thought maybe I could push it off a day, you know? And I remember just sitting in that movie, just my gut turning on, this is going to suck. I do not want to go through this. This is going to be miserable. And I, and I remember there was nothing I could do about it. The action had already been done. There was no way to change what had happened. And I remember I came home that night and I saw the light on in the living room and actually feeling relief. It's like, okay, good. I could just get this over with. I just, I'm ready for this. But that's not what's going on here. I don't think this is written so that we look at it and go, oh man, I'm destined. This is going to be such a miserable future for me. Instead, it's so we look at this and we see, no, the sin that I'm participating in, the sin that's in my life is ugly. It's part of something very evil and I need to get rid of it. I need to turn to God. I need to repent. I need to change my actions. I need to align with him and allow him to start showing the stuff in my life as truly evil. So maybe uh, for some of us, this is kind of sparking some thoughts, maybe some things in our lives that, that we look at and go, no, that's, that's wrong. That's evil. There's a promise in here, and that's the promise that those who were sealed by God were protected. So it's not up to us being good enough to somehow avoid this. It's about our alignment with him. It's about him transforming, transforming us, renewing us, making us new making us into the image that he's designed for us, not our own image. So as we kind of pray, maybe uh, it's a time to, maybe for some of us to repent of those things, to go, God, I need you, I can't, I'm doing some stuff. Or maybe it's just a time to, to just think, maybe those things aren't coming to mind. Maybe the prayer is just, God, point out these things in my life. God, give me hope. So let's pray. God, you know me better than I know myself. And you know how much of my life and my thoughts are, are evil or wicked or broken. You know what needs changed. You know what we as a church need to change, God. You know our brokenness. You know the way we're hypocritical, the way we do things that are shameful and hurtful. So God, I pray that you change us, that you transform us. That when we see brokenness, when we see evil in our world, that we see it as the opposite of what you're calling us to. We do pray for our world. We pray for our community, for our friends, our family. We pray that that you call them to yourself, that you make them um, yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.